Alexandra Quick and the Lands Below by Inverarity, read by Sam Gabriel. Chapter 23 The Roanoke Underhill Two things arrived the following week the Lands Below and other native muggled tales, and a letter from her mother. Alexandra received the first while she was at the library, studying for tests teachers always scheduled the week before vacation. She didn't get to see Bran and Poe, but Mrs. Minder told her that her interlibrary loan owl had arrived, and handed her an old children's book with hand-drawn illustrations that moved like wizarding photographs. Anna arrived at the library to study with her soon after that, so Alexandra wasn't able to look at the book again until later that night. The Lands Below and other native muggle tales appeared to be a collection of Native American legends, originally told by Native Americans, repeated by muggles of European descent, and overheard by colonial wizards, who then wrote them down to tell wizarding children. The result was an incoherent but imaginative series of stories about talking corn, beautiful women disguised as trees, shape-shifting rabbits who hunted foxes with bows, and caves in the clouds. Unfortunately, the first story in the book, about the lands below, told her almost nothing. It was about a tribe of monsters who were banished to some sort of underworld by Indian wizards, where they were trapped for all time. There was no mention of anyone else getting in or out, or of elves or obols. Alexandra didn't know if there was any truth to any of the tales. Once she'd entered the wizarding world, it became hard to dismiss anything as impossible, even talking corn and shape-shifting rabbits. But the book had been written over a hundred years ago. It referred to Indians as savage red muggles, and the Indian wizards in the stories used wands and cast spells using Latin, so Alexandra was a little skeptical about its accuracy. She also noticed that wizards, even savage red wizards, were always very wise and heroic, except the dark ones, while muggles were usually rather stupid and cowardly. She'd noticed that in other wizarding books as well. Alexandra had written home, telling her mother that she had been invited to spend spring break with a classmate and her brother, whose family didn't have telephones in their home. She begged for permission, promising to be on her very best behavior, but anticipated needing to find some way for her mother to communicate with her in Roanoke. "'Why don't you just tell her who I am?' Maximilian grumbled when she explained how she'd bent the truth. "'I doubt she'd be shocked to learn that your father has other children.' "'She doesn't want to know,' Alexandra told him. "'And the less I tell her, the less likely that an obfuscation officer will visit her again.' He shook his head, exasperated, but recognized her stubbornness and dropped it. The letter Alexandra received back from her mother was brief. "'Dear Alex, I hope you enjoy your time with your friend Julia. Do behave yourself.' I don't want Miss King to think you weren't raised properly. Please write when you get there. I am happy you're making such good friends at school. Keep up your grades. Archie and I look forward to seeing you in June. Love, Mom. Accompanying this single-paragraph letter was a permission slip, allowing her to leave the Charmbridge campus over spring break. She was brooding a little when she found Maximilian that afternoon and showed him the letter. His face broke into a smile and he clapped her on the shoulder. Everything's set then. The bus will take us to the Wizard Rail Station in Chicago, and we'll ride the train to Roanoke. Mother and Julia will pick us up at Blacksburg. Great, Alexandra muttered. He studied her face. What's wrong, Alex? Don't you still want to go? She jerked her head up to look at him. Of course I do. It's just... She frowned and looked down again. Puzzled, he reread the letter, and then tilted his head and regarded her quizzically. She doesn't ask questions, 
Alexandra complained. She just believed everything I told her and said, sure, no problem, go across the country with someone I've never heard of, see you in June. Maximilian frowned. Isn't that a good thing? Julie would love it if our mother let her get away with that. Alexandra shrugged. She'd probably be just as happy if I wrote and said I wanted to spend all summer with you, so she wouldn't have to see me at all this year. Oh, for Merlin's sake, Alexandra, you hate it whenever you can't do whatever you please, and now you're sulking because your mother isn't controlling you or checking up on you. Would you be happy if she said no? No, Alexandra replied, but, but you've been brooding about your mother ever since Christmas. Look, I admit she's more trusted than I'd be, knowing you. He grinned at the sour look she gave him, then squeezed her shoulder. I am sorry your mother has been so hexed about you being a witch, but stop acting like such a 13-year-old girl. Excuse me? Her eyes narrowed. Moody, sulky, feeling sorry for yourself. I'm not feeling sorry for myself, she declared angrily, and I'm not moody and sulky. He folded his arms and gave her a bemused look, which infuriated her more. You're a, a, a chauvinist pig! How does Julia put up with you? She demanded. Ask her. So how about looking forward to the trip? And in a gentler tone, he added, Your mother has not abandoned you, Alex. Stop acting like she has. Alexandra did not like being lectured by her brother, especially when he had a point. Fine, she muttered. I've got to go study. He sighed and shook his head as she stalked off. She was in a better mood the following weekend. She couldn't help it, as the upcoming trip began filling her with excitement. Anna had helped, too. She wasn't as harsh as Maximilian, but she also commented that normally Alexandra wouldn't think twice about getting what she wanted so easily. "'Your mother must know that your friends are witches and wizards,' she pointed out. "'She's not dumb, is she?' "'No,' Alexandra admitted reluctantly. "'So if she doesn't want to deal with the wizarding world, what choices does she have? Ask a lot of questions, just tell you no, or else give you permission and hope everything is okay.' Alexandra frowned. "'Do you really think your mother doesn't care about you?' Anna asked softly. Alexandra looked at her roommate and shook her head. "'Do you really think I'm feeling sorry for myself?' "'A little,' Anna gave her a small smile. "'I think sometimes you're entitled to. A little. Now stop it.' Alexandra nodded and tried to put her mother out of her mind as she began preparing for her trip. When Anna was out of the room, she double-checked the oval beneath her dresser. The deadweight spell had not worn off. She knew Darla was also leaving over the spring break, so keeping the oval where it is seemed safe. She considered her father's locket and put it in her pocket. Anna and David were also going home for spring break. They all felt a little sorry for the Pritchards, who were staying at Charmbridge, and were feeling homesick by now. Alexandra was surprised and grateful when Constance volunteered to take care of Nigel for her while she was gone. Forbearance didn't look thrilled at this arrangement, but held her tongue. "'Just keep your owls away from him, all right?' Alexandra said, as she handed Nigel's cage to Constance Saturday morning. "'Of course we will,' Constance huffed. "'We ain't gonna feed your snake to our owls, Alexandra Quick!' She looked into the cage at Nigel, while Forbearance seemed to be avoiding eye contact with the reptile and then both Ozarker girls looked up and said in perfect unison, "'Hi, Max!' Their voices came out like synchronized sighs, and they both tilted their heads slightly in an unconscious, perfect mirror reflection of one another. Alexandra stared at them and then at Maximilian, who was dressed for travel in his BMI uniform as usual. "'Ladies?' Maximilian nodded very seriously, and Constance and Forbearance smiled at him and sighed in unison again. He looked at Alexandra. 
Ready to go? Yeah. She had only one bag to take with her, besides Charlie's cage and her broom. She noticed Darla and Angelique both waiting as clockworks loaded their luggage onto flying carpets. Four overstuffed bags each. Neither girl looked in Alexandra's direction. Your boyfriend isn't here to give you a kiss goodbye? Martin smirked as he joined Maximilian. Alexandra rolled her eyes at him, while Maximilian shook his head and jabbed his friend in the ribs with his knuckles, warning, Knock it off, Martin. He's coming with us? Alexandra didn't bother trying to hide her displeasure. Only as far as Chicago, Martin told her. And then I take the train to New Orleans and from there the Swamplight Express to Florida. Over his shoulder, Alexandra saw Angelique look up at that, and the girl from New Orleans exchanged glances with Darla. Great, Alexandra muttered sarcastically. Maybe you can flirt with Angelique this time. And here comes Chu. This'll be a fun ride, Maximilian commented dryly, as Anna joined them outside, dragging a suitcase behind her with one hand and trying to hold Jingwei's cage in the other. David, who was going home to Detroit, accompanied her, with his own familiar hooded and caged as well. Alexandra sighed. Anna still didn't like Maximilian much more than when she'd been in JROC, even though he had stopped tormenting the younger girl. Fortunately, they didn't have to sit together on the bus. See you in a week, Alexandra said to the Pritchards, and they nodded and exchanged hugs with her and Anna. David stood back, watching the girls with a bemused smirk, and his arms folded tightly. You best stop rolling your eyes, David Washington, Constance scolded. Yeah, they might hug you, Alexandra teased. Yeah, right, he scoffed, but he blushed and picked up Malcolm's cage and hurried on ahead. Mrs. Speaks and Miss Gale took off on the flying carpets, taking everyone's baggage to the Charmbridge bus across the valley. But the students had to walk there, and so Alexandra and Anna fell behind as Maximilian and the other Stormcrows walked ahead, with David a little ways behind the older students. The woods were green and lush again, and the ground was damp underfoot. It wasn't raining at the moment, but it had been off and on for several days. Anna and Alexandra speculated about what it would be like to cross the invisible bridge in the rain, which they had never done before. Angelique and Darla were trailing behind them, some distance further back. "'Do you think you and Darla will ever make up?' Anna asked quietly. "'No,' Alexandra grated, and her expression became stony and she looked straight ahead. Anna sighed. "'She's not evil, Alex.' "'I'll make you a deal,' Alexandra jerked her thumb over her shoulder. "'You make friends with Tomo, and I'll think about being nice to Darla again.' Anna frowned. The Japanese girl was even further behind them, at the end of the column of students walking through the woods towards the invisible bridge, keeping her head down and seemingly trying not to be noticed. That's different, Anna muttered. You're right. I've got a good reason to dislike Darla. Anna gave her something close to a glare. Let's not fight, Alexandra pleaded in a more placating tone. Just forget about both of them, okay? The other girl nodded, and Alexandra was relieved. She didn't want to be nice to Darla, talk with her, or sit with her, and on the bus ride to Chicago, she didn't. She and Anna and David took a table for themselves, since the bus was less crowded than on the trips to the Goblin Market, and Angelique and Darla sat several booths away. Maximilian and the other Stormcrows sat in the front of the bus as usual. Alexandra didn't mind, since she'd be sitting with her brother on the train all the way to Roanoke. Once they arrived in Chicago, David said goodbye to the two of them, and remained on the bus as Alexandra and Anna disembarked. Alexandra had never actually seen the Chicago Wizard Rail Station, except from the outside. The wooden platform looked like something from an old movie, and she was expecting to see black locomotives belching smoke sitting on the tracks. Instead, 
Once she'd stepped past the exterior and into the open waiting area, the first thing she noticed was a big blue engine sitting across the platform on the other side of the ticket booths. It looked sleek and shiny, though not really like a regular train engine. Its sweeping lines, flared vanes along its rear section, and sharp silver grill were all quite impressive, but it looked more like a cartoon or an illustration from an old science fiction magazine than a real train. A tall wizard in a black uniform with a rounded billed cap and a long white goatee was bellowing, All aboard! Last call for New Amsterdam! Wizards and witches in robes, tunics, dresses, and cloaks, and a few in muggleware hurried to and fro, some of them to catch the departing train, some to buy tickets, and some to greet new arrivals from the Star of Acadia line. The Wizard Rail station was on the edge of the Goblin Market and drew an equally fascinating crowd. Alexandra saw a flying carpet being steered by an elf porter, laden with such a large pile of packages and suitcases only magic could have kept them from tumbling off in all directions. Several grim-looking warlocks in matching black and green robes, with cowls pulled over their faces and their hands lost in their voluminous sleeves, walked together in lockstep to another gate with a hand-painted sign that said, New Orleans. An exceedingly ugly old woman wrapped in tattered black robes suddenly paused to look at all the Charmbridge students now filing into the station. Alexandra recognized that look. She'd met a vampire who'd looked at her the same way. She had to suppress a grimace. The crone's eyes had a red tint, and her wart-covered nose was the approximate size and shape of a potato. "'Move along, Hilda,' barked a wizard in a red uniform, with a badge on his chest that said, "'Wizard Rail Auror Authority.' He jabbed her with a wand, and the hideous-looking woman glared at him, eyes flashing even redder. "'I'm just checking train schedules,' she croaked. "'You never go anywhere, Hilda. Now skedaddle, before I run you in for loitering.' "'Loitering!' she spat. "'I have rights!' But as the wizard brandished his thick black wand, she pulled her moth-eaten shawl over her shoulders and scurried off with surprising speed, despite her hunched posture. Alexandra watched her go, curious and disgusted at the same time, and then Maximilian pulled her towards the ticket booths. He pushed a stack of eagles under the metal bars at the ticket agent's booth, and received two bright gold-foiled tickets in return. He thanked the elderly wizard behind the bars, and handed a ticket to Alexandra. It read, Roanoke Underhill, First Class, Child. The sign says Child's Fair Twelve and Under, she protested as they walked away. I'm thirteen. The ticket agent assumed you were twelve, Maximilian replied with a shrug. I didn't correct him. He grinned at Alexandra's indignant expression. You can go back and pay the difference if you like. You just do things like that to annoy me, she muttered, as she and Maximilian joined Martin and Anna, who was desperately standing a few paces away from the older boy. They had both bought their own tickets already. The Delta Blue Blazer is boarding now, said Martin. Our train will be coming into the station in a few minutes. Maximilian shook hands with Martin. See you in a week. Stay away from Angelique, Alexandra said to Martin. Maximilian rolled his eyes at her. Martin just smirked. Still trying to fix her up with your friend? He asked, giving her a poke in the shoulder. You mind your brother, Wand? He winked at her and ignored her glare as he strode off through the gates. The train to California doesn't leave for a couple of hours yet, Anna sighed. Sorry, Alexandra replied. She and Anna hugged each other. Alexandra noticed Tomo dragging her own luggage onto a bench and sitting down, looking quite small and alone, but did not suggest that Anna pass the time chatting with the sixth grader. 
Take care of yourself, Anna whispered, and be careful. Be careful? Alexandra laughed. I'll be with my brother. What's to worry about? Anna shook her head. Maximilian put a hand on Alexandra's shoulder and guided her towards the gate. She shrugged his hand off as he called, "'Don't get eaten by a hag, Chew!' with a flippant wave. "'Jerk!' Alexandra muttered and elbowed him in the ribs. "'Jerk!' echoed Charlie from inside the travel cage in which the raven was unhappily confined. But Alexandra couldn't help smiling. They were really going. They walked past a row of metal doors with a large sign over them saying, "'Port Keys.' Alexandra paused, wondering what those were. Then Maximilian called, "'Alex!' sounding impatient, and she quickened her pace to catch up to him. "'Tickets, please,' requested a dry, reedy voice, and Alexandra pulled her gaze away from the train window. She'd had her nose almost pressed against it for the last twenty minutes since they had first left the station, much to her brother's amusement. They had now left the city limits and were traveling around the southern tip of Lake Michigan." Like the Automagica, the Wizard Rail appeared to connect with the Muggle Transportation Network at critical junctures, and then branch off on hidden crossovers to tracks that Muggles had either forgotten or never noticed. Their train hurtled through a residential neighborhood, and at one point seemed to be squeezing between houses, with only inches to spare on either side. Yet Alexandra saw children playing in the yards and through the windows of their houses, people watching TV or eating lunch, and none of them looked up at the train speeding by. They went over small streams and canals, and Alexandra saw streets flashing by beneath them too, indicating the train was crossing overpasses as it left the city, and yet she couldn't see the bridges that had to be holding it up. She never heard the train blow its horn either. Apparently there was no need to warn Muggles that it was coming. She never saw any crossing barriers blocking cars or any other sign that the Roanoke Underhill disturbed the Muggle world at all with its passing. Alexandra and Maximilian had their own small private compartment, with two long cushioned benches and a table between them, much like the booths on the Charmbridge bus, but larger and more luxurious. She hadn't heard the door to the compartment slide open, but when she turned at the sound of the voice, she saw there was now an ancient-looking elf wearing a dark blue uniform with a tiny cap, holding an enormous silver ticket-puncher. Maximilian handed the elf his ticket, and the small creature took it, inserted it into the puncher, and squeezed. It made a crisp sound, and the elf handed the ticket back with an irregular hole punched through it, and then looked at Alexandra. She fished her gold-foiled ticket out of her pocket and handed it to the elf, which he also punched and handed back. Maximilian tossed the elf a coin, which he caught with such deftness Alexandra almost didn't see it disappear into his pocket. He bowed low, mumbling, "'Thank you, sir and miss,' and then stepped back and allowed the door to slide shut again. Alexandra glanced at her ticket, the hole seemed to be in the shape of a star, and then back at the space where the elf had been standing. He was wearing a uniform, she said. Maximilian nodded. So? I thought elves are freed if they're given clothing. Porter elves always wear uniforms, Maximilian replied. Are they paid? Only in tips. You don't have to tip them, but only cheapskates or hardline traditionalists refuse to. I think they buy snacks and fancier buttons for their uniforms and things. Alexandra nodded, musing. So there's slaves like the Charmbridge elves? Slaves? Maximilian frowned at her. We don't call them that, and they don't like being called that. But it's what they are, isn't it? Maximilian's frown deepened. Have you been listening to Washington? He's one of those Aspew goblins, isn't he? He's kind of touchy about elves, yeah. 
Alexandra replied. She was a little annoyed by Maximilian's dismissive snort. So how do Porter elves stay enslaved if they have uniforms? I don't know. Why don't you ask one? Maximilian shrugged, and Alexandra realized he had never thought about it, because it just wasn't important to him. Do you think the way elves are enslaved is one of the reasons our father wants to overthrow the Confederation? Alexandra asked. Maximilian's frown became a look of concern. Alex, he said, what our father wants is irrelevant. His plans have brought nothing but ruin. Don't start admiring him because you've got a soft spot for elves. I doubt he cares about them. Alexandra was surprised at the bitterness in Maximilian's voice. Usually you defend him. He shook his head. I don't think he's evil. I think you deserve to know your father. That doesn't mean I think he's right. Do you think he really cares about us? Maximilian regarded her for several long moments, then answered, He cares. In his own way. But he's always put his own ambitions ahead of his family. She frowned and looked out the window. He doesn't seem to mind that you're helping the Office of Special Inquisitions. Maximilian didn't say anything to that. So how's your mission going? She asked, turning to look at him again. He had a weary expression. Alex. Then the train went dark for several seconds, before lights began glowing softly in their compartment. Alexandra looked outside, but all she could see through the window was darkness. What happened? she asked, wondering if wizard rail trains could have power failures or accidents. We've gone underground, Maximilian replied. We'll be underground for most of the trip to Roanoke. Underground? You mean there's a train tunnel all the way from Chicago to Roanoke? she asked, amazed. Actually, there's some complicated magic involved. I don't think a tunnel was drilled all the way across the country, but I'm afraid you won't see much out the window now. He took out a deck of cards and smiled at her. How about a game of Explode and Snap? They played cards for a while, and then a porter elf knocked on the door again, this time bringing their lunches on a pair of covered silver platters. He bowed low upon entering the compartment, and then bowed again after Maximilian tossed him another coin as he exited. Alexandra uncovered the platters and found a muggle-fried catfish fillet on a bed of rice with a side of greens. For dessert, there was a slice of witch apple pie on a magical warm plate, and a little scoop of Wyland West's 99-flavored ice cream, so labeled in the little charmed glass bowl in which it was sealed, where it would remain frozen until Alexandra lifted the lid. As they ate, Alexandra sipped her fizzy pop and then took out the book she'd brought along with her, The Lands Below and Other Native Muggle Tales. Maximilian glanced at it, saw the title, and gave her a narrow look. She raised an eyebrow at him. "'I told you to forget about things that don't concern you,' he grumbled. It's just a children's book, she replied innocently. Do you really expect me to believe you're suddenly interested in Indian fairy tales? Do you really think you can distract me with a game of exploding snap? He stared at her and then closed his eyes and leaned back in his seat, looking very weary again. I just want to help, Max, she said quietly. Let me do research, look up spells, something. If you told me what you need... What I need is to enjoy this time with my family and not think about dark arts or the Moore's Mortis Society or my troublesome little sister involving herself in things that I don't enjoy being involved in, or worse, telling my other sister about it and making everyone unhappy. He opened his eyes and fixed her with an accusing stare. Alexandra's implicit inclusion in my family made her heart swell a little, and that made the guilt generated by his words sting all the more. She looked down and slid the book back into her bag. You and Julia are going to be great friends, Maximilian predicted. You're both vexed and wicked. Alexandra snickered. 
She had seen pictures of Julia. She looked very pretty, with hair that was not quite as dark as Alexandra's, and around her face and softer cheekbones, and Maximilian had talked about her, but Alexandra was more nervous about meeting her half-sister than she wanted to admit. Maximilian said Julia was more feminine than her. She wasn't sure whether he'd been teasing her or not, but that she was also smart and stubborn and liked to get her way. Alexandra was afraid either they would indeed become great friends, or else not get along at all. They passed the rest of the time talking about Roanoke, and the winged horse farm, and Julia and their mother, or else reading or napping. Now and then the Roanoke Underhill would surface to stop at another Wizard Rail station. The names were mostly unfamiliar, and Alexandra couldn't tell where they were by looking out the window at the stations, though she saw many more witches and wizards who looked like old colonials as they went further east. After they passed Appalachia and dived underground once again, Maximilian said they were in Roanoke territory. They emerged from beneath the mountains to stop at Dominion Station, where about half of the train's passengers disembarked. They proceeded onwards, above ground for the rest of the trip, and Alexandra became more excited and more nervous as the end of the line approached. The Blacksburg Wizard Rail Station was the debarkment point for both BMI and New Roanoke, as well as travelers heading to nearby Muggle cities. One of the uniformed porter elves followed her and Maximilian, floating their luggage with a hovering charm, though Alexandra insisted on carrying Charlie's cage herself. Charlie was now squawking loudly, eager to be let out, and Alexandra noticed many of the passers-by at the station giving her and her familiar odd, suspicious looks. Blacksburg was much smaller than Chicago, and so was the Wizard Rail Station. Among the witches and wizards boarding and leaving the station, Alexandra saw the usual assortment of robes and cloaks, as well as witches in frilly hoop skirts and wizards in what looked like old-fashioned dinner jackets or tailcoats. She was glad Maximilian had told her to throw a robe over her jeans and T-shirt. She didn't see anyone else wearing muggle clothing. Here and there were other kids wearing BMI uniforms, and a couple nodded to Maximilian in recognition. The porter elf waited patiently while Maximilian paused and looked around, and then someone squealed, Max! A girl in fluttering lilac robes came running and practically leaped into Maximilian's arms. He caught her and laughed, while she kissed his cheek and giggled as he spun her about. It's only been three months, Julia, he said, setting her down. So? she demanded, and kissed his cheek again. Then she turned to face Alexandra. Julia King looked much like her pictures, except prettier, Alexandra thought. Her dark brown hair was tied with a ribbon that matched the one cinching her dress in a bow, and she was wearing makeup and a pair of sparkling earrings. She was barely taller than Alexandra, but she had a more girlish figure, and in her dress and makeup she looked like a young woman. Alexandra felt like a little kid. Then the older girl wrapped her arms around Alexandra in a hug as enthusiastic as the one she'd given Maximilian. Alexandra couldn't return it, as she was still holding Charlie's cage, so she blinked, exhaling with surprise and staring at Maximilian, who just grinned. "'Alexandra, I'm so happy you'll be spending the week here. Maximilian has told me all about you. I've been so looking forward to meeting you.' "'Really?' Alexandra gasped, as her half-sister squeezed her tightly and then released her. "'Of course!' Julia stood back, still with her hands on Alexandra's shoulders, and looked her up and down. Alexandra wondered if the other girl was finding her appearance wanting. She was rumpled, tired after their train ride, and wearing only a simple robe over her muggle clothes. Her sneakers and the bottoms of her jeans were visible beneath it, and her hair, not as long as Julia's, hung straight without any kind of styling or ribbons. But Julia just grinned at her and said, "'You do look like Max, a little.' "'I do?' 
Alexandra stared back at her. Julia nodded and pushed Alexandra's hair back from her ears. You have such straight hair, but your skin is much fairer than ours, and your eyes, oh, I can't wait to dress you up for the cotillion. The what? Alexandra stammered. <clears throat> Maximilian cleared his throat loudly. She's not one of your dolls, Julia, and we haven't talked about the cotillion. What makes you think either of you are going? Oh, you great awful snarly, Julia retorted. Then she winked at Alexandra and gave her another hug. We're going to have so much fun. I want to know all about muggles and how they dress and what it's like to ride in those little cars and what muggle boys are like. And, oh, I bet you've never ridden a winged horse, have you? And you can tell me if Max has been nice to you or a horrible beast like he usually is. This last was said in a whisper that was not really a whisper. Ahem, Maximilian repeated. Ahem, Charlie echoed. Julia started, and so did Alexandra, as Charlie mimicked Maximilian almost perfectly. Julia stared down at the cage as if just noticing it. "'You really do have a raven familiar!' she exclaimed, and for a moment Alexandra thought she was about to be dismayed or horrified, but then she clasped her hands together and knelt to look through the middle bars at Charlie. "'Hello there!' she cooed in a sweet sing-song voice. "'Hello, pretty bird! Can you talk?' "'Bird brain!' Charlie cooed back. Julia blinked in astonishment. Alexandra flushed and glared at Charlie. Maximilian seemed to be trying to suppress laughter. Julia stood up and smiled. "'You're so lucky,' she enthused. "'I wish I had a familiar.' She took Alexandra's free hand and grabbed Maximilian's with the other. "'Come on, Mother is waiting for us in the carriage.' The Blacksburg Wizard Rail Station seemed to be out in the woods, with no muggle town nearby. There were four dirt roads leading away from it. Lanterns were hung around the station, and more were floating above the crossroads as the sun was setting. There were a few brooms and flying carpets taking off, carrying their riders off in all directions. Alexandra saw a car, too, something that looked like an old Model T, but with the tires of a sports car. And there was a small white bus with a sign that said, Blacksburg Majory Institute, which some of the uniformed BMI students were boarding. But Julia led Alexandra and Maximilian down the wooden steps of the train station to a large black open-top horse carriage, and Alexandra paused to gape, not at the woman sitting in the carriage, but at the horse in front of it. It would be generous to call the thing a horse, Alexandra thought. It was a horrendous skeletal creature, black and leathery, with a face that looked more like some kind of dragon. It did have wings, though. She stopped and made a face. The beast was just standing there, quietly harnessed to the carriage. "'What's wrong?' Maximilian asked. Alexandra looked at him and then back at the emaciated creature. "'Do all winged horses look like that?' she asked. "'It looks like it's almost starved to death.' Maximilian's mouth tightened. "'You can see it?' Julia asked quietly, and Alexandra stared at her in surprise. "'Of course I can. It's standing right there,' she pointed. "'Can't you?' Julia shook her head and her expression was odd, almost sad, as she looked at Alexandra. "'Not everyone can see them,' said a deep, rich voice, and Alexandra turned towards the woman who had stepped down from the carriage. "'Especially at your age.' Miss King was a large, imposing woman, and she was quite beautiful, Alexandra thought. She was older than Alexandra's own mother and much taller. She had a Juno-esque figure, and wavy black hair spilling loosely around her shoulders, unlike Julia's carefully brushed and tied coiffure. She studied Alexandra a moment, and then pulled her into an embrace. 
Alexandra's head was momentarily pressed against the witch's large bosom, and then Miss King let go of her and looked her up and down, much as Julia had. "'I can certainly see your father in you,' she said quietly, and Alexandra shuffled uneasily, but there was no trace of bitterness in the woman's voice. "'Welcome to Roanoke, Alexandra. You are our guest, and you will be treated like family here.' "'Thank you,' Alexandra murmured. "'Thank you for letting me come.' Miss King smiled gently, then turned to indicate the skeletal-winged horse. "'This is a Thestral,' she said, "'and no, most of our horses don't look like that. Thestrals are a rare breed, and we only have a few of them. We mostly raise granians,' Julia interjected, and then pouted as her mother gave her an admonishing look for the interruption. Miss King nodded. "'You'll get to see the granians later. Don't be alarmed by the Thestral's appearance. They aren't starving, I assure you, and contrary to old superstitions, they are neither dark creatures nor unlucky. But they are invisible to most people, muggles and witches alike.' She regarded Alexandra with eyes as dark and serious as Maximilian's. "'Only someone who has witnessed death can see them.' "'Oh,' Alexandra said quietly. She felt Maximilian's hand on her shoulder, and Julia's eyes on her, and then Miss King said, a little more brusquely, "'Well, shall we get in the carriage rather than making this poor elf stand here all evening?' Alexandra started and looked at the forgotten porter-elf guiltily, though the elf immediately bowed and demurred. "'Most does not mind, Mrs.' Moose levitated their bags into the carriage, and thanked Miss King profusely when she handed him a gold lion. Maximilian sat in front with his mother, and Alexandra and Julia took the back seat. Alexandra unlatched Charlie's cage, and the raven immediately fluttered out and took off, cawing joyfully at the freedom and the opportunity to stretch wings confined too long in a cage. "'Don't worry,' Alexandra said, noticing Julia's look of concern as Charlie flapped off into the evening sky. "'Charlie's my familiar.' "'Familiars always return to you,' Miss King nodded from the front seat. "'And ravens are wise birds. They don't get lost.' They rode through the woods, and Julia did most of the talking. She alternated between asking Maximilian and Alexandra about Charmbridge Academy. She knew Beatrice and Martin, and laughed when Alexandra mentioned Darla Dearborn's unfortunate infatuation. "'I had a crush on Martin when I was ten,' Julia confided. Alexandra wrinkled her nose. "'You're kidding.' "'All those years ago,' Maximilian commented dryly from the front seat. Julia made a face at him, then turned back to Alexandra. "'You must admit, Martin is cute.' "'I guess,' Alexandra muttered. "'Enough about Martin and the silly girls who have crushes on him,' Maximilian grumbled. "'He encourages them.' "'You should talk,' Alexandra replied. "'How embarrassing is it that two of my friends have a crush on you?' Julia giggled. "'Really?' Maximilian shook his head. I don't encourage them. Ladies, Alexandra intoned, dropping her pitch to try to imitate the deep, serious voice with which he had greeted the Pritchards. Julia swayed in her seat, clutching Alexandra's arm and laughing out loud. Fine, next time I won't be polite to them, Maximilian growled. Oh, was showing his temper already, Julia teased. Enough bickering, children, said Miss King sedately. I'd like Alexandra to see your best behavior, not your worst. Alexandra was actually enjoying the bickering between Julia and Maximilian. It was obvious that they both loved it. But she became aware suddenly of a salty breeze blowing in her face as the woods fell away behind them. In the darkening gray gloom ahead, she saw nothing. They seemed to be plunging into a fog bank. "'Um,' she questioned as she felt the ground under the wheels become soft and yielding. "'Are we heading towards the ocean?' "'Well, of course,' Julia replied. "'Didn't Max tell you?' 
Alexandra could hear surf now. The closest she'd ever gotten to an ocean was Lake Michigan. Tell me what? Ahead, she saw the Thestral spread its wings and plunge forward into the gray mist. Its bat-like wings were flapping now, and it felt as if the ground had dropped away beneath them altogether. Alexandra leaned over the side of the carriage and saw waves below. Croatoa is on an island, Julia informed her. I do hope you're right about Charlie being able to find you again. End of chapter 23 For the full text of this and other stories, as well as news and updates about Alexandra Quick, visit inverarity.livejournal.com. For more information about this podcast, visit samgabrielvo.com slash alexandraquick. I am also easy to find on the Alexandra Quick subreddit and Discord server, where you can hear me record episodes live. Troublesome, composed by Dr. James Benigoff. Charmbridge, composed and performed by Tyler Parsons. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please take a moment to leave a review on iTunes or whichever podcast service you prefer. And finally, as always, thank you for listening.